coming to you from our new home at DynastyLeagueFootball.com and a DLF family of podcasts. We are the Superflex Super Show. We talk QB values, Superflex strategies, evaluate and debate Superflex trades, plus our own twist on Superflex team management with exercises like Tinderflex, Super 6, and You Are Nuts. So when you're done with this awesome DLF podcast, find us on Twitter at Superflex Show and join us in the discussion of the fastest growing format in all of fantasy football, Superflex, on the Superflex Super Show. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts. So, uh, yeah, what's up? How'd the draft go for you? Bit bit of a crazy one. Today we're going to run through basically the first round of my uh, post-draft rookie rankings, and but mostly talk about a few of the rankings that are giving me a bit of a headache positional-wise. Um, you can also talk to us on the Dynasty Grind every Wednesday at 9.30 if you want to ask live questions or hear more feedback about rookies. Anyway, let's get into it. Do So I'm finally behind on content from uh, post-draft articles I got to write to deal for DLF for my own actual work being crazy uh, right now, and so I'm struggling to find time and only having a couple hours off here between uh, now and tomorrow. I'm trying to cram it all in, so I'm just kind of going to run you through where my early post-draft ranks are. They're posted in my MicroShare database, pinned to my Twitter timeline, available on Patreon as well with notes and everything else. I also included some basic landing spot stats because I just thought those would be interesting to see right next to rookie ranks and landing spots. So check those out if you want. Um, All right, so the first 12 players I've got listed in my uh, rookie ranks, I I don't know, it feels like every draft is going to be different and ADP is only going to tell us so much this year. Like from from uh, the 104 all the way to the 203 feels like one big tier for most rookie drafts. So it's very much as we were predicting and expecting a take your shot, take your player class. And my rankings feel very much like that at the moment. Again, I got a few headaches. I don't want to dig into a little more, a little bit more in depth this uh, on this podcast episode, but let me tell you where you are at, where I'm at. I've got Brees Hall at the 101. I don't feel comfortable taking a Jets running back as my 101 in Superflex, but yeah, this is a year where landing spot is almost more important than draft capital, but as I'm writing up for DLF right now, landing spot can only do so much. It doesn't exaggerate potential, and it also doesn't confirm likelihood of a success. So, what I see with Brees Hall going to the New York Jets is 
in the second round, being the first running back taken in this wild and crazy draft class, um, is a really good college player. Honestly, a college production profile as far as running back goes that stands out head and shoulders above the other running backs in this class. Um, going to a team desperately trying to fill in talented players around a quarterback they hope can take a step forward. Now, the good thing about a running back is that even if the quarterback doesn't take a step forward, the running back should still get that volume. Now, this isn't the death nail of Michael Carter. I do think he's going to continue to fill a role, but like with most NFL backfields these days, now, to greater and lesser extent, committees. And as far as the committee goes, I think the one we've got shaping up on the New York Jets is one of the more positive ends. I think he's going to get a top 12 workload as long as his college profile isn't lying to us completely. And I think he can perform on that as a rookie running back and therefore without a clear top QB1 from this draft class. I think even in Superflex, I'm taking Bruce Hall and taking that potential top 12 production and that the rarity uh, um, of a fantasy significant running back out of a rookie back class, out of a rookie class, and just secures in the 101 for me. And then go Traylon Burks and Kenneth Walker. I have a headache about neither of those. I know Traylon Burks isn't going to be everyone's wide receiver one. In fact, I expect a lot of people to really dislike him being my wide receiver one, but. He just continues to tick boxes. His profile, good. Draft capital, good. Landing spot, decent. Is he an A.J. Brown? No. But again, what I can take from his landing spot is that the team feels pretty confident in his ability to step into an overall wide receiver one workload or to earn those targets, create those targets for himself as a wide receiver one. And I don't see the flags that Scott was talking about on our last episode, which I hastily pushed out as just an extra episode, um, which makes me feel a bit better about this one being a little late, but whatever. Um, because I don't profile that way. I'm not scared about a player. He reminds me of a baseball analogy, which is I'll take the player with the same stats that is less refined and hope he can refine himself and therefore be the best prospect. Now, actually, he doesn't have the same stats as everyone else in this class. He has better stats by the way I model it and, and also just by the way I look at it. His yards team pass attempt is clearly above everyone else in this class, significantly above the age curve at age 19 and age 20. He got... Uh, the wide receiver one spot um, with first round draft capital this year. Tennessee clearly has in the, the intention and the belief that he's going to be able to step into whatever role Traylon Burks creates rather than a vacuum of A.J. Brown. Um, and as I'm writing for DLF right now, vac much like vacated targets, there aren't A.J. Brown targets laying on the floor for Traylon Burks to pick up. But depth chart and landing spot do matter and the 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 field seems to be open for him. If he fails, he can fail. He cannot progress. Maybe he is slightly fraudulent in his production, as Scott was describing, but I'm not seeing that, and I'm not overthinking it to this point. So he's my number two in this class, even in Superflex, and my wide receiver one overall. Follow that up with Kenneth Walker, like I said. Okay, he's a really good running back. Will he catch passes in the NFL? And no, the Seahawks aren't particularly inclined to care, but I do think he's a talented rusher. I do think it looks like they intend for him to be their lead running back next year. And again, running backs is a rare position outside of quarterback, even in super flight ranks, um, where significant fantasy significant um, running backs are harder to find. 
I will hope he can pick up passes, but I do believe he can sustain an NFL workload and be a productive runner on a team that just wants to run anyway. So yeah, I'll take the running back at that point and I'll separate out my wide receiver one from wide receiver two that way. This is the first headache, uh, my third, uh, fourth overall player here. This is the first ranking headache. I've got Drake London followed by Garrett Wilson as my fourth and fifth overall picks in a Superflex rookie draft. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it because also Jamison Williams could fit in here. Now, I've got Drake London separated out into a first tier with Traylon Burks, to be honest with you. Because at this point, it's very difficult for me to make the argument against him. Essentially, it is people that I trust tell me he's not excelling as a contested catch guy well enough on tape. That's kind of what's got... That's a fly in my ointment. Like, uh, consistently, Zach Reed um, has noticed uh, things like that in my production model and other production models. And he just doesn't see it with London. So I kind of prefer Wilson. But... Sticking to my own process, yeah, Drake London was third in my pre-draft model. He is, uh, what is he, second overall in my wide receiver post-draft model. If the, the question is a fairly simple one. Can a guy who mostly profits from contested catches at the college level excel in the NFL? Yes, but it happens rarely. And when it does, the ceiling is kind of high. It's between Mike Williams and Mike Evans, but based on how well Drake London was excelling at it in college, honestly, he looks more Mike Williamsy than he looks more Mike Evansy than he looks Mike Williamsy. And following on from talking with Scott about it for a while, I can't find any other nerd out there, even with the hesitation that I have. And so overall, he looks like the wide receiver too. But I'm gonna just freely tell you that I'm not sure I won't take my the first wide receiver in my second tier over him because I have learned to respect the opinions of others, at least when it comes to things that are not so clear cut and I don't excel at particularly. And honestly, Garrett Wilson profiles really well right next to um, Drake London. And so I don't have as many concerns um, uh, about Garrett Wilson, just because I haven't heard as uh, haven't had that uh, concern from take grinders come up, he seems to be the safer pick, and also he did really well uh, in my own modeling as well and my own reading of his profile. So I, I'm really kind of having a headache between those two. But for right now, it stands at London and then Wilson. So after the London and Wilson debacle, I take Jamison Williams. I had him above Wilson for a while because uh, Jake Anderson, who used to be on this podcast, really likes Jamison Williams, and I kind of like that. But yeah, overall, Jamison Williams doesn't profile as well in my um, pre-draft model. I do think the ceiling is there, but he's much more of a downfield receiver. Um, Anyway, now, I think the draft is Jameson Williams is one of those players we can take information from the draft. It's okay to say, okay, now he's got the draft capital. Honestly, most of the concerns in his production profile are no longer concerns for me. He's going to Detroit. I think his skill set pairs really well with Almanra St. Brown. I don't think this is a case of both of them being having a negative effect on each other. If anything, I think they will be the really helpful to each other on this team. And with a return with a healthy TJ Hawkinson. And a healthy uh, DeAndre Swift. Honestly, it's kind of like the New York Jets in that we're not sure about the quarterback, but the skill position players around them are good. And so the reason I put Wilson slightly um, under Jamison Williams is ultimately because 
I think Garrett Wilson plays in a much more volume-heavy role, which tends to be where I leave over Williams. They're both in Tier 2 with one other guy I'm about to get to, and, and I'll lean the volume guy over the deep threat guy. Is Jameis Williams good? Yeah, I'm actually really confident in where I have him ranked. In fact, like I said, I've pushed him above Wilson a time or two because my ranks continue to dither a little bit. But within this tier, I feel pretty good about both of them. The next guy, uh, so my wife, my rookie seven, the seventh overall pick in a Superflex rookie draft, is David Bell. This is really too high. I don't think he has to be taken here. But again, given the way this class is shaping up, I think if you want David Bell and you're on the clock and you can't find a trade, it's a pretty good idea just to take David Bell or George Pickens or whoever it is you have in this range because, honestly, they could be the next pick. Unless you know your league makes tendencies very well, there's a very open nature to everyone in this range of uh, Superflex rookie startup, rookie draft, sorry. Um... I get it. There's concerns. I don't like the fact he's going to Cleveland. I don't think he has a clip pass of the wide receiver one touches or any of that landing spot stuff. But good players make good landing spots and they improve situations. Um, <coughs> to, to put a, a nice little number sounding example so I can pretend to be an analyst for a second, Corey Davis went in the first round to a Tennessee Titan team passing 31 times a game with 1.8 receiving touchdowns a game that had just vacated 167 targets from the year before and he ended up catching 65 targets himself. AJ Brown went to a Tennessee Titans team passing only 27 times and for only 0.9 touchdowns receiving touchdowns a game that had only vacated 88 targets from the year before when he joined the team in that class, and he caught 84 targets and was a much better player. Landing spot tells us relatively little, but good players tend to be able to make good situations for themselves. That's kind of what I'm betting with uh, David Bell. I'm drafting, I'm ranking him over players that were drafted significantly higher than him, two better landing spots. I don't care. I'm not going to tell you it's great process. I am telling you um, that I am probably going to draft him. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I'm drafting him. You do what you want. I'm drafting him. That's literally a quote from my notes. I, he just looks like an underdrafted player. And to that point, um, to simplify things, because I'm always trying to, despite the way my database looks, I've really see, recently included um, in my wide receiver tab just adjusted yards per team pass attempt. Instead of looking at the adjustment the adjustments are minus 0.24. Instead, you're just looking at their overall yards per team pass attempt with those adjustments placed on them on an age, conference, and experience level. So you can just quote an actual yards per team pass attempt number instead of, you know, having to quote some decimal place percentage that doesn't seem uh, to be a real number. So, Yes, I am actively trying to look him up. Don't judge me, okay? I'm in my live database. It's a different kind of animal. There are a lot of players in here. All right, where am I? David Bell. There we go. So, yeah, he's coming for Purdue. Yeah, Rondon Moore is a thing. Yeah, Purdue has screwed me more than once in my life. But here's the thing. When you sort by draft capital and look at the overall production, David Bell looks like the guy who may have been significantly underdrafted, like a Keenan Allen, like a Stefan Diggs, like a T.Y. Hilton in years before, although he plays very different than all of them. Got 2.62 age-adjusted yards per team pass attempt, 2.84 conference-adjusted yards per team pass attempt, and 2.79 experience-adjusted team pass attempt. Those are well above the thresholds of every player who's gone on to have at least one top 24 season. 
third round draft capital is not terrible even if the landing spot is and ultimately yeah i'm just drafting him i honestly think he's one of the better bets in this class um outside of those top three four players um Someone recently pointed out in my Discord that he's his production profile looks very similar to Brian Edwards and um, LaVisca Chenault, uh, to which I pointed out that I had them ranked in relatively similar spot in their rookie draft classes. There are misses here, especially when you're going to freaking Cleveland um, in the third round of a, a very wonky if and an impressive NFL draft class. But I have him ranked fifth overall at the wide receiver position and seventh overall in a rookie draft. We are past the point where we're even considering surefire locks. And so this is where I am at and uh, David Belt. Take it for what it's worth. Eighth overall in the Superflex rookie draft, really telling the story of how I'm stretching things to have some level of upside and sustainability of value, if nothing else. I honestly put the tight end. Trey McBride has one more 1,000-yard one more season in college than Kyle Pitts ever had. That means nothing, but it's a fun way to pretend that he has a better profile than Kyle Pitts. He was very productive in college, has a Tier 1 profile pre-draft and a Tier 1 profile post-draft as well do I like drafting an Arizona tight end in the late first round no but he's here because there's a lack of first round picks I would like to spend tight ends at least mostly maintain their value into the sophomore season although they're often easier to trade for especially if people reach for them and this would be a strong reach eighth overall in a super flex rookie draft I haven't even taken the quarterback yet but it's where I where my feels are I'd much rather take the tight end then uh, the first quarterback from this draft class, when I honestly feel about as comfortable with the first three or four from this draft class, and I don't expect a lot from either of them very early. So yeah, I like Trey McBride. If nothing else, I want to highlight here that this tight end, um, uh, Trey McBride, should be a pretty early, an earlier consideration than you're probably conceiving of, <laughs> given what we're used to doing in draft classes. I don't often draft a first-round tight end because they take a long time, and even Kyle Pitts got a thousand yards finally in the NFL and was somewhat of a disappointment. Trey McBride isn't Kyle Pitts, but but yeah, he's got. Yeah, I said it. Great production profile, good draft capital going to a team that seems to be trying to add weapons for Kyler Murray. And I think Trey McBride can definitely fulfill that. Um, next up, ninth overall, I take George Pickens. This is somewhat of a headache for me. I really like George Pickens profile-wise. He profiles very similarly in terms of chances of hitting in the NFL to Jamison Williams. Once we can forgive some of his red flags because of the draft capital like only having uh, the one year of production and even Garrett Wilson but George Pickens comes as somewhat of a discount I had him ranked second overall in my pre-draft ranks mostly to just try and highlight him and um, at the very top of that tier two because everyone was pretty much in a tier two he's a risky or bust pick that's one why he falls down my overall draft board here and um, but he went to Pittsburgh, and that narrative can help soothe some of your ills. I really do think he has as much upside as most wide receivers in this class. Whether he hits it, I don't know. There seem to be off-field concerns. There's no real production concerns from college. He's a lower BMI, more outside um, the on the outside of the field player, which, again, I tend to highlight players that are much ha have a much more like, tendency to fall into slot targets or volume roles. But... Plenty of players that have an outside skill set are getting those targets these days as well. Um, and I think Pittsburgh has 
pretty much proven that it knows how to draft productive players and even deal with headaches and get them on the field and make them productive. He, again, I don't think he's a threat to Deontay Johnson, who did play more on the outside in college, but is now definitely somewhat secured an incredibly high volume role and Pittsburgh's trying a lot of things this year Pittsburgh wide receivers can also take a step as they do tend to draft a lot of second third wide receivers and then they develop into great things like Sanders and AJ Brown or sometimes not much of anything we've also seen some foul out the league because of those off-field concerns so there's a lot of risk in the George Pickens pick which is ultimately why I'm putting him below Trey McBride right now but honestly it's a toss-up I do have Pickens below Jameis Williams and Garrett Wilson. I think it's fair if you like Pickens to take him over David Bell. That's just my guy. Again, I'm leading volume more than uh, more than distance running, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's where I've got him right now, ninth overall. This is where the 10th overall pick in a Superflex draft, that's where I draft the quarterback, Kenny Pickett. It's not necessarily because that's where you should take. It's probably bad process, the QB1 drafted overall in the first round. But he was drafted outside the top 12 picks. And we know, if you don't, I'm telling you now, that the hit rate for quarterback in the first round drops dramatically after those first 12 picks. Basically, there's a high hit rate in the first... 12 picks about 45% of those drafted in the first 12 hit for at least one top 12 season and then it drops to a flat sustained almost no hit rate from there on out so the fact he's got first round draft capital doesn't matter too much to me because honestly that's about the same as a second or third round draft drafted run quarterback at this point but I mean at least it's the first round Pittsburgh is trying things they've just taken on George Pickens for example uh, they have Deontay Johnson who is excellent in a role that should very much help out a young quarterback. I do think we should expect to see Kenneth Pickett start sooner rather than later. And the landing spot is at least somewhere looking for a quarterback to to prove themselves in that role and so it's not terrible quarterbacks do have sustained value from year one to year two even if they somewhat disappoint or even don't get on the field much in that rookie season and so he's a fairly safe pick in a range of picks that feel a little bit more unsecure and a little less um uh, less safe um in the first round of superflex draft so again depending on your team needs, whether safety or upside is more prevalent to you or how you feel about um, Kenny Pickens um, as a quarterback prospect himself. Could move him up and down over several players I've mentioned already, but this is at least the range I would consider taking him. It's mid to late first round is where I consider taking my uh, first quarterback. And honestly, because I feel, I think I feel a little bit more comfortable outside of that range with the QB2 and QB3, I'm pushing Pickens down a little bit, but it's probably slightly bad process. But it because it is a much safer pick in terms of overall value. It just feels a little Josh Rosen rather than Josh Allen-y to me. You know, might be some level of sustained value, but I don't know I'm ever going to see significant fantasy relevance from him. But I'm not a quarterback whisperer. God knows. And next up, after Kenny Pickett, 11th overall, I have Chris Alave. Still like Alave. Uh, still one of those players that falls down my overall positional ranks and my overall ranks here. And it doesn't feel quite right, but Chris Olave is very good. He has a really good profile. He has a profile in the tier of many players I've uh, met, uh, several players I've mentioned before, as he was in that second quarterback, second wide receiver tier in my pre-draft model. But he's going to New Orleans. I really don't think he compete can compete against Michael Thomas in terms of overall driving and attaining volume in the slot role. Um, Chris Olave is very skilled, very talented. I think 
he's feeling more like a Sterling Shepard to me. He's going to excel um, to the NFL level. He's going to be good. He's going to perform a role for him in this team. I don't see a hell of a lot of upside in that. Would love to be proved wrong because up until last year, he was honestly looking like one of the best of, uh, best prospects that we could have got from this class, and I have no real concerns. Much like Pickett is in this range because it feels like a fairly safe floor pick towards the end of the first round, and I'm just kind of reaching for those where I've put my upside guys slightly higher. Um, 12th overall in a Superflex rookie draft, I take my second quarterback. Um, Malik Willis was drafted in the third round, but again, this class seems to be primarily dominated by the influence of landing spot over draft capital, especially at the quarterback position. All the quarterbacks fell in this draft, but all of them landed in relatively interesting spots where we could well be looking at Tennessee's starter in 2023, or nothing. Or this is Jordan Love. I get it. But Malik Willis was getting some height, not just because he could run, but because he was one of the more decent quarterback prospects in this class, if not the most decent. And yeah, like John Hogue said in the Superflex Super Show, he kind of looks better because of who he's standing next to. I get it. But the third round doesn't concern me as much, like I talked about with the QB hit rates overall outside the top 12, as you might imagine. And I think Tennessee seems to be getting ready to move on. And um, Ryan Tannehill has a huge cap hit next year. He is cuttable. They're taking, they're getting rid of their already proven great wide receiver with some injury concerns and bringing in another one they hope maybe can prove himself. They seem to be ready to revamp. And so they could well try and get Malik Willis starts this year. And even if not, by 2023, if Ryan Tannehill were to leave the team, there would be strong at least maintain a maintenance of value in a Superflex League for Malik Willis, and so I'm still not out. It's, it's the end of the first round, which is a really low hit rate anyway, um, and again, like with the rest of this class, you might not even have to take him with as a 12th overall pick. You could maybe trade back into Mike Willis, where he's a third-round quarterback, ultimately, whose main positive is that he can run quite well. But there it is. Um, I'm going to get into the start of my second round because honestly that strong tier means that most of these players I feel relatively similar about in terms of my confidence in picking. Um, so 13, 14, and 15 is Christian Watson, Sky Moore, and Josh Dockson. Sky Moore is a bit of a headache pick for me. I do have him strongly behind Chris Alave, but honestly the potential in the NFL is relatively similar when you look at my pre-draft model and also just looking at their comparison of hits. Because of Sky Moore coming from where he's coming from, despite having slightly better stats overall than Chris Olave, they are not as good as Chris Olave's stats. And so while they're relatively similar, I do go Olave over Sky Moore. And honestly, I just feel like the landing spot, because people play landing spot wrong too often, is going to hype Sky Moore's value too much. If anything, this makes me more interested in Juju Smith-Schuster, because if the Sky Moore has any effect on Juju Smith-Schuster's value, like I'll take an extra discount, no problem. I like Sky Moore a lot. I think he's a really productive player. I think three years ago, I would have had him in my first three rookie wide receiver ranks and be talking about, oh, he just has higher numbers, because, uh, you know, I'm a bit of an ass when it comes down to stuff like that but the way in which he plays the game even without profiling off tape is very much a high volume slot type role he's Tyler Boyd if he hits and while I love that player I don't think there's a lot of extra upside in there and he has to get over the hump of can he translate to the NFL many players not just Dwayne Eskridge, but Corey Davis, plays who are significant NFL talents, but not significant fantasy assets, excelled as well in that offense. So it's not just that he's 
he's, it's not that he's not far enough over the age curve given his team situation. It's that this team stats itself seems to lie. Teams adjustments suck, but it's okay just to recognize the contents of a player's production for a specific team and to know that the elevated levels of receiving yards per team pass attempts aren't quite as great as if, you know, he was playing at, I don't know, what's another college team? Purdue, there you go. That's a college team. All right, so Christian Watson and Sky Moore I consider relatively similar bets at the start of the second round. Obviously, Watson's more of an upside play. Sky Moore's more of a floor play from the way I just described them. And I feel pretty confident in them. I think it's really interesting that they, the NFL teams um, who have both lost their wide receiver ones to various different trades and moves are interested in seeing if these players can step up into a role. But their second-round draft capital or that vacated nature of their situation doesn't mean they're more likely to do it. It means there's interest. It means if they can, there is the potential they will. But that definitely doesn't elevate them above other players. I think, one, proved themselves more in college, and two, um, uh, in many cases, had even more significant draft capital spent on them. Not just that their team is willing and like uh, and desirous or fairly confident that they could, but ultimately convinced that they will when they're drafted in the first round, like uh, Traylon Burks, uh, Drake London, and others. So, yeah, I've got them back-to-back. Um, my next guy up is Jahan Doxon. He's someone I should have higher because he's much more likely, because he got that first-round draft capital, to do be given, not be given, but to earn some level of role, just ultimately seems like a good college player who earned a spot in the NFL at a good program, but ultimately is never going to be fantasy relevant. He just didn't excel even in that situation the way most fantasy relevant players did, but it's not like he is a bad player. He did decently at a decent program. The NFL's probably overdrafted him here, but that has value and we should pay somewhat some respect to that with fantasy takes he's going to be on the field he's probably going to catch a touchdown before many of the names i've already mentioned and there will be value spikes and he's a first round receiver this isn't a henry ruggs overdraft this is this class is weak i'll i'll take that guy he's all right in the first round a little early and so yeah like if sky Moore is tyler boyd if he hits and uh chris alave is sterling shepherd as a medium projection, there is upside there with Alave, then um, uh, Jahan Doxon is kind of Sterling Shepard minus, poor man Sterling Shepard, whatever you meant, want to mention it. I, I think it'll be fine on another roster. But that first round draft capital does mean that even with out impressing or scoring lots of fantasy points, he should still probably be valued and, and be tradable next year, or he might see value spikes. And so I'm putting him here because I'd rather have Watson, I'd rather have Sky Moore, but honestly, Jahan Doxon is probably going to be underdrafted. Rightly so, but yeah, I'm just put throwing it out there. That's about where I'd feel safe with Doxon. Um, followed by Sam Howell, because again, people have told me he's a pretty good quarterback, and we're, we haven't drafted enough quarterbacks in the Superflex rookie draft so far, so I'm throwing them out there. Again, Sam Howell fell in the draft. He's a fifth-round pick, but he's gone to Washington. Again, the landing spot is better than the draft capital hits. Honestly, the same with Desmond Ritter. Atlanta is better a better landing spot than his draft capital necessarily speaks to. All of these guys could well start games this year and should be at least considered to be 
part of the committee attempting to um, earn the job next year, which means they have fairly insulated there in terms of the, uh, the quarterback position. And in Superflex, that has increased relevance. Um, but yeah, uh, and so I start to take the other quarterbacks there. That's where I start to take Ritter. That's where I start to take Sam Howell. My only question and my headache here is whether to take my favorite running backs over them um, in the mid-second round. Because Rashad White, Isaiah, Isaiah Spiller are my next two ranked uh, running backs and again draft capital kind of sucks but their college profiles were decent and their landing spots are also interesting Rashad White going to uh, sorry Rashad White going to Tampa Bay he's not going to take the job from Fournette but he can definitely hold a job in Tampa Bay next year or as the opportunity arises he was a very good college running back um, third round draft capital sucks, but the landing spot is awesome. Isaiah Spiller, same thing. He's fallen on the draft probably because of his athletic profile. And I don't think he's going to take nothing away from uh, Austin Eckler. But he's fallen because of that uh, that uh, athletic profile or combine testing. But we know from his production that that was probably an unfair fall. I definitely think he's been drafted as a role player. And I think he can fulfill a role on the Los Angeles Chargers, which is a good team. So yeah, no concerns about Leonard Fournette for 2022 or Austin Eckler for next year or beyond. But I think both of these players could work themselves into partial roles and have value and score fantasy points sooner rather than later, despite the fall in draft capital. This is not a class where... Outside of those few early picks, where draft capital should sway you heavily over players that you genuinely think are better than the ones that were drafted above them. There are a lot of depth special teamers, in my opinion, drafted on day two this year. Uh, Even the undrafted free agents look like a little bit of a thinner crop. And that's not something I say. Very often, the NFL strongly seems to have been uncertain of the depth of this class, and so it's overreached on a few of the top-tier players, to be fair, in the first round and excited us on day one, and as we expected, mostly disappointed us on day two and three. So that's roughly where I am. Again, if you want to see the rest of my ranks or actually see my ranks instead of hearing me reading them out loud, again, you can check out that market share database. It is free. It is pinned to my Twitter timeline and Patreon timeline, or just ask me anytime. Dynasty Grind. Wednesdays at 9.30. Let me know where your heads are at the ranks as I continue to stress and modify these a little bit. Really appreciate it, and I'll talk to you all next week. Thanks. Yeah! Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got their lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that, I, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road. Go clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold. So Jake on the table and Nate on the plays. No, Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road. Go clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold. So Jake on the table and Nate on the plays. No, Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.